and welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and if you could, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. It does help quite a bit, and leave a review as well. If you like it, let us know. If you don't, well, still let us know, and we'll try our best to make it better for you. But anyways, our guest today is Kevin Taylor, and he's been a part of Global Results Communication Vice President in United Kingdom. So he's across the pond from us. He's in our London studio. (laughs) Yes, London studio. That's a good way of saying it. But we're glad to have him because he's been in the European consultant or lead consultant industry, plus the European wireless industry. He's been a part of GSMA for about 10 years. He's a skilled writer, expert storyteller, and he's having extensive client experience with global brands, SMEs, and ambitious startups. So he's got a wealth of knowledge for us to share with you guys. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Nice to be here. Thanks a lot for inviting me. And so my first question is to ask all my guests, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Well, you'd expect me as a Brit to be a tea drinker and you wouldn't be wrong, but I drink both and I'm unusual. We talk about coffee mornings, yeah? I drink tea like it's going out of style for the first uh, six or seven hours of the day and then switch to coffee in the evenings, which should keep me awake, but somehow doesn't. I drink them both enormous quantities. Mm-hmm. So does the opposite effect it makes you go to sleep? Coffee does. It seems to. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not decaf, I'm fine with that. <laughs> There's caffeine in both of them. True. And no, the stronger the better. How does the tech startup industry differ from the UK or Europe from the US? Well, I think if we look first of all in PR terms, how the two different differ. I think it's quite difficult to talk about that without appearing rude to my uh, American colleagues. But uh, I think the UK PR climate around tech and startup businesses is a little more advanced in some ways and nuanced than the US one. We've got a pretty cynical media over here and they have a very low threshold for BS. And I pride myself on my written content, as you've already said, I can spot a US originated press release from an ocean away. And it's a sweeping generalization, but to the eyes of the UK audience, the US press releases about techs and startups spends too long talking about the company up front and doesn't spend long enough getting to the heart of the story right up front. I see a difference in the way we address PR. But in terms of the actual industries, if we look at the industries themselves, then I'd turn the tables on that in some ways because I think, especially around startups, I think the US culture is more encouraging. I think the investors are more willing and the community generally more forgiving. I get the impression you're not branded as a failure if one idea tanks and there's more encouragement to try again. I don't get that impression quite so much over here. I think we're a bit harsher. So I enjoy practicing PR in the UK, but I think if I was starting up a business, I'd rather start it up in the US. US PR people, if they want to actually write press releases, need to talk more about the product and less about the company. Yeah. Sometimes you see the introduction, it spends almost an entire paragraph with the, the NASDAQ listing and then the description of who they are. And they're always a world leading this, that, and the other. 
and you've got four lines down into the opening paragraph and you haven't heard what the story is yet, I think we try over here to have that descriptor as a much shorter part of the opening sentence. So what are you saying, like two sentences of the company and then go over to the actual product? Well, not even two sentences. If you think what a journalist would do, he'd say, Sony Ericsson, the giant electronics corporation, today announced. He wouldn't say, Sony Ericsson, the world leader in da-da-da-da-da-da-da, this for that market and that for the other market, and spend the next three lines talking about all the industries they're in. If you can describe what the company is in four words, do that and get to the story. That's where I'm from. That's a good motivator. Get to the story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in your 10 plus years of experience, how has storytelling changed in PR? Yeah, I'm quite flattered that you talk about my 10 years of experience because it's probably closer to 40, but it is 10 years with GRC. And I think the first thing that's changed is that storytelling is a relatively new and actually quite appropriate description of established PR practice. And I say established because I did go to college to learn about PR, the London College of Printing, would you believe? And when I started, there was a a definition of public relations that I was taught, it was drummed into me. That definition was, it's a planned and consistent program of communication between an organization and its publics. The word publics was used then. We'd say audiences, we'd say stakeholders, but a planned and consistent program of communication That communication has always been in the form of messages and stories. The main difference today is that we have so many more channels to deliver those communications and to engage both directly and even instantly with our publics. That's what's changed, not storytelling itself. We've always been doing that. We weren't always calling it that. But the way we can do it has changed. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think we've always been telling stories i mean it's not the traditional way of telling stories like once upon a time but you're still trying to craft a narrative like direct people to your site or your product or whatever and that in itself was storytelling we just didn't call it that at the time there was another great definition that they gave me back there that i've always liked and that is your reputation is a result of what you do what you say and what others say about you. Now, PR can help with the what you say, and the business needs to to do the right things. But if the business is doing the right things and saying the right things, then hopefully the third bit, what others say about you, will take care of yourself. But if the business keeps on making mistakes, it doesn't really matter what the PR guys are saying. The reputation is going to go down. But if you take care of the first thing, what you do and what you say, the last will take care of itself. Mm, Wise words. That comes with the age. And I'd say the gray hair, but I've got no hair left anymore. So, Age is good. Yeah, it comes with age. Let's leave it at that. (laughs) But what do you think that most PR pros miss or overlook when it comes to storytelling? I'm going to say the audience, and in particular, the internal audience. There's a very fine line to be trodden between the need for confidentiality and communicating with your own staff. 
your own staff learning something important about the company because it pops up on an external news feed is not good practice. And in that original definition I spoke about, we said the word publics, any organization's publics includes its own staff. And storytelling is about what you want to say, but it's also about what people want and need to hear. So if you imagine a a business, we talked about startups, you imagine a business that secures some additional funding during this pandemic. The company wants to tell everyone about its success in raising money. It wants to marvel at the size of cash it's just brought in in this injection of of funds. It wants to boast about the confidence the uh, investors have shown in the management team. But the guys and gals on the shop floor simply want to know their jobs are safe. The firms that supply goods and components to that business want to know they're going to get paid on time. So those are slightly different messages. And if you do the press release stating the facts and blowing your own trumpet, at the same time, you've got to write to your staff, maybe attach the press release to the email, but write to your staff and give them the message that they want to hear up front. Write to your suppliers and give them the message they want to hear up front. It's not one message for everybody. Think about what people want to hear and what they need to hear, as well as what you want to say. So just don't be a lazy storyteller. <laughs> don't be a lazy storyteller. One of the things is you know, think about why you're doing what you're doing. It's not ticking a box. You're not announcing a piece of news because you need to announce a piece of news. Why are you doing that? And who do you want to talk to? And what do they need to hear? So, yeah. Think about the audience as much as the message. So it's not always about what you're going to talk about, but why and how is the other questions that you need to answer at the same time. Yeah, the good old five W's of news writing, who, why, where, what, when, and add in how and how much, and you got yourself a news story. Very true. So for our listeners out there, just be sure you always are asking those questions. Even if your boss is like, we need a press release, be like, okay, what are we going to write about? When? Why? how and how much now yeah and how has storytelling changed drastically in 2020 given how interesting this year has been <laughs> yeah i'm not sure it's changed drastically but i would say it's more about its importance that has grown you're living in a world that's almost free of face-to-face events whether that's a conference exhibition a sales road show the company kickoff meeting or an event for your channel partners. In 2020, all of those events have moved online. They've all gone to a virtual online setting. So our stories or our content have to work harder for us. And it has to replace a lot of the traditional marketing activity that's been driven by physical presence. So content marketing, I think, in 2020 has come to the fore. How can you create compelling content that your target audiences, your publics want to read, want to listen to, in the case of a podcast, want to watch, and ultimately they will react positively to. So whatever format it takes, your content is now in the front line of your marketing. So I guess it better be good. It's true. And also understand what you should say in this time. Probably not the whole how much money we have, but more about what you're actually going to be doing. Yeah, there's a phrase over here that's become quite popular, which is organizational purpose. 
what's the purpose of your organization? What was it put on God's earth to do? And making sure you're conveying your organizational purpose is a good thing to do in general terms. Mm -hmm. And what does the future of storytelling look like? Well, I think it looks very diverse is a one word answer, but we've seen an explosion in the use of video. We've seen a resurgence in the use of podcasts. I think infographics and animation are all playing a much bigger role these days. But to me, the written word is more important than ever. Mm. So given to that, has PR gone beyond the written word or is it still, or should we refocus into the written word or should we be using a diverse look in, let's say, video podcast, like you said in your previous answer. Yeah. So I'm someone who thinks writing is their strong suit. So I'm very biased here, but I believe that strong, compelling, and above all engaging writing underpins pretty much everything that we do in a successful PR program. I've just said, as you say, the future is diverse, encompasses more use of videos, more use of podcasting, of infographics and animation, all of those tools. But a good video starts with a written storyboard. A good video depends on a really well-written script. The filmmaker helps us to visualize that and bring it to life. But a great piece of filming with a lousy script will be a lousy video. Yeah. So the importance of getting the message right, getting it across to the right people, yes, widen the media we use for that message, but make sure you understand and have written a compelling message and story for your business because then you can articulate it across all the different tools that are at your disposal. But it underpins everything to get it right in the first place in the written word. So everybody remember that writing is still very, very important, regardless. Yeah, because that's what I get paid for. <laughs> yes, and regardless of what medium it is, you still have to know what you're going to be writing about. You do. Wise words once again. But when we're looking at startups, how do you build awareness around the products in, let's say, this year and next year because most people are focused on mostly the bare essentials and just living through 2020 because I've heard it's the year of the pivot. It's an interesting year. And so how does product launches and everything like that change from 2020 and 2021 and moving beyond 2020? Well, they change with the lack of physical presence for a lot of people. The task is the same. Know your audience, know what they want to hear, know how you make a difference to them know what's important to them, therefore, and tell your story in the right way. There was a famous trade union leader here who said, forgive the language, but I'm a Brit, so I get away with swearing every now and again. But he said, if you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. And what he really meant was, if you've got their attention, if you've really got their attention, then you can get their hearts and minds. And I think in the course of business of a startup trying to win customers really grab their attention you'll get their hearts and minds and hopefully their budgets will follow as well so i think you've got to find that spark that will get the attention of the public you're talking to at that particular time that hasn't changed if you can get their attention even looking from i have actually a new puppy 
getting his attention is everything. If I can't get his attention, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you get him by the balls, his heart and mind will follow. <laughs> True. <laughs> but do you think 2020 and PR in 2020 – we're seeing like a new golden era for PR that like people are relying on it more. Businesses are relying on it more. Startups are relying on it more because we do build that awareness and that hopefully reputation goes up with us as well for a company. Well, I, I do think there's never been in many ways, there's never been a better time to be in PR and that's got nothing to do with the truly awful year we're living through, but everything to do with the way technology has given PR professionals, more tools, more techniques than ever before to fulfill that historic definition I keep banging on about of a planned and consistent program. Because you can engage directly and almost instantly with your audiences now. I heard a guy from one of the big supermarket chains has got millions of followers on his Facebook page and he put up an image of two different teddy bears and said, which one would you prefer in the shops for Christmas? And millions of mums replied and voted for which teddy bear they would prefer. And it was a, a Christmas teddy bear. One had a Santa hat on, one had a red and green scarf. The red and green scarf won comfortably because the mums said, that's a teddy bear, that's just a winter bear. It's a teddy bear all year round. It's not just a Christmas teddy bear. A teddy bear is not for Christmas. It's for life. And that instant engagement with your audience, we could never have done that. Could never have got that. He had his answer to what the buyers should put in the store at Christmas within an hour of putting the picture up. That's a form of PR. That is a planned and consistent program of communication between an, an organization and the people that matter to it, it's customers. So it works in a way it could never work in the past. And that's why I think there's never been a better time to be in PR. It's also product research right there too. <laughs> Which one works? Right, product research. Yeah, straight away. It's great stuff. All right. And what has 2020 taught you for PR-wise? going to get a little bit more serious now because... It's not so much taught as observed, and I think it represents a bit of a cloud on the horizon for the PR profession and society in general. And it's really come to life in the last year. But I think a few years ago, the expression fake news was unheard of. Now in politics, it's used as a defense against a criticism without the need to address the criticism itself. And I think. Politicians have always used a question to give the answer they want and to talk about the topic they want to talk about rather than necessarily address the question. Or nowadays, discrediting the messenger, either as an individual or as an organization, has become a very effective tactic rather than even pretending to try to answer the questions raised. Now, where that applies in PR, I think is that discrediting tactic against the media is a very dangerous way to go. And I think we're in difficult territory. I think a free, trusted, independent media 
is important to society and I think it's important to the way we go about our jobs in PR. Media houses are already struggling financially. If that loss of trust becomes widespread, then more will go under and the number of independent voices out there will diminish. And I think that's something society and the PR profession should be concerned about. And it's also, though, why that ability to engage directly with our audiences has never been more important. Mm-hmm. And do you think that... Heavy, eh? Yeah. Do you think the PR professional will eventually become more of a reporter for their own organization too, more of the gatekeepers of the information for their company? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's this particular acronym has reached the U.S. shores. I don't know. Over here, we talk about the PESO model of content. Have you come across that, P-E-S-O? No, I haven't come across that one yet. So the PESO model of content, P is paid, E is earned, S is shared, and O is owned. So paid for content is advertorials and the like sponsored content. Shared is what we're doing on social media. Owned is what we're publishing on our own websites. And earned is where the value of our story alone has got it into an independent publication. We haven't paid for it, we haven't, et cetera. So the peso model, I think the, the P, S, and O are becoming more and more important. I like the paid part because I like supporting the media that we want to get our earned coverage in. So I don't mind that we do some paid content, but I'd be really worried about losing the ability to get earned content because the titles are just disappearing. And if every title has only got paid for content, then they start to lose their value as well, as far as the audience is concerned, because it only reinforces the view that they're biased. Mm -hmm. And do you think like the smaller, like one man shows like the podcaster or even the YouTuber is going to be taking place of the more traditional, bigger media houses? I do think the bigger media houses are under threat from the smaller independents. I think one of the issues sweeping generalization is that some of the smaller independents, particularly in the political space, are very, very biased. But I think in the technology space, that doesn't matter at all. I don't think there's any bias in that. There might be some Apple fans out there against the Windows fans, but I think most of the tech podcasts are going to be fairly independent. And I think that audience becomes more important. It's about, you know, we talk about influencers these days, don't we? I think more and more of the influencers will be independent podcasters or website owners. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the earn is actually probably going to be changing to that scale instead of the traditional media houses than we think they are. Some of the podcasters, though, are a sucker for a free handset or a, hey, want to review our product? You can keep it. That happens a lot. Oh, trust me. I worked for two, or I used to work for two gaming peripheral companies. And now I wish they wouldn't do that because it does give kind of a bad, like, rap for a lot of the people that just want to review a product and even give it back and be like, I just want to review it. I'll give it back to you guys. If I like it, I'll pay for it myself, basically. The Wall Street Journal used to have this thing where it never accepted hospitality to go to an international event. So, if you wanted them to come to the exhibition or sales conference you had, and we've got some stories for you, we'll sponsor your travel, you can go to the rest of the show, we'll put you up in a hotel. Their answer would be, 
if the show's good enough for us to go, we'll be there and we'll go to it. We don't need you to pay for it. And I liked that attitude. And there was one or two tech websites that decided that was the thing to do as well. But gradually over time, that kind of declaration of independence will pay our own way has, um, I don't know if it's yet disappeared at the Wall Street Journal, but it's certainly disappeared at the tech websites. They just need the money. And if it's a show they want to go to, they'll take the hospitality to go with a vendor. Gotcha. Well, moving on to an actual fun question. So transitioning over to something a little bit more. Tough of my heaviness. Yeah. <laughs> Upbeat. If you could create the perfect story for yourself, how would you write it? I'll give you a headline, shall I? Yeah, British PR writer scoops Nobel Prize for literature for his seminal white paper on digital transformation. Well, that work? I might, I might, unknown British amateur leads the field at the Masters, but I'd, I'd have to qualify for the Masters first of all. That might be the most difficult bit. Fair enough. I mean, hey, it's your story, so whatever you want to write is good with me. <laughs> no, I think the I've either got to get a prize for my writing or a prize for my golf or score the winning goal in the cup final for Arsenal, but I think these aren't going to happen. Well, you never know. Nobel Prize, it's achievable. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> you could just run out on the field and score a goal anyways. I'm a young man. <laughs> so any final thoughts for our listeners? I'm going to say I think we share the same dreams in the UK and Europe as our American colleagues, I think. And we almost share the same language. When the UK and US folk work together, I think good things happen. I think when we work together, we can be influenced by, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, influenced by the better angels of our nature. And I think if we do that together, we end up being a pretty powerful combination. The UK input into American PR is good. And I think the American input into UK business is good. Long may it continue. All right. So symbiotic relationships is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Sounds good to me. Hey, I always like working with other people. So sounds good to me. Sounds good too. All right. Thank you, Kevin, for joining PR 360. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. And thank you for listening to PR 360. As always, if you could please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. It's really great. Appreciated. And Please leave us a review. It always helps with the rankings. And join us next week as we talk to another great expert in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Actually, get some writing done and make a good story. Later.